cryptocurrencies have always benefited from not so much inflation, but from governments like really rapidly expanding the, their money supplies and balance sheets. Uh, unfortunately, this is not happening, but uh, from my strong belief is that it will continue at some point and crypto will continue growing with it once again. Days ago, somebody relatively prominent said uh, Bitcoin is bigger than the Internet, bigger than the Industrial Revolution. Was that Tim Draper? And it's exactly what's happening with Bitcoin. Bitcoin. I don't know why I said anything about it. Bitcoin possesses all the attributes, not only of good money, but of supremely good money. But of course, it's not financial advice. Hello, guys. Welcome to a new episode of NFA, the podcast of Cryptonary, where we talk to big brains and famous people in the crypto industry. Today, we're here with Murad. You probably know him as the biggest bull or, me, or maybe even the hero of the last bear market. In 2020, he had an issue with his fund during the COVID crash. So at the time, he kind of left the stage. But he's now back in 2022 to bring us a new product called STFX. And we're very excited to talk about him, about his opinion on crypto, and also to learn how we should operate in a bear market. And that was clearly one of the periods where he was one of the best traders at the time. Hey, man. Um, thanks for having me. And we're also here with Max, our head of research. How are you doing, Max? Yes, good. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, so um, just to start, Murad, um, you were uh, not really active on crypto Twitter for a while. And one thing I kind of wondered was during that period, did you still keep an eye on crypto and did you look at all the developments? Or was it a period where you weren't really into crypto at all? Yeah, no, I, I was still pretty much doing crypto 18 hours a day this whole time. Awesome. And um, also one thing a lot of people probably want to know is because you have been, you know, like a lot of people know you from the last bear market. You had a lot of conviction in Bitcoin. Right now, we're actually back in another bear market. And I think one thing people might want to know of you is your opinion on the differences and how you look at the current bear market as a lot of our listeners are probably quite new to crypto. Yeah, so I honestly think that um, most bear markets are quite similar to one another. Uh, a very uh, kind of different development right now is the fact that the previous bull cycle was like super led by the after effects of the government's responses to the COVID pandemic while uh, the subsequent sort of bear market, the one that we currently find ourselves in, um, is kind of going hand in hand with the fact that we are uh, sort of seeing the reversal of um, quantitative easing and the beginning of various quantitative tightening uh, and more sort of hawkish policies by governments and central banks around the world, uh, coinciding with kind of both the equity markets and crypto markets and a bunch of other risk um, sort of risk on markets um, collapsing all at the same time, pretty much. Um, we're currently at the phase of the bear, in my opinion, where volatility and volumes have dried up super extensively. And um, it's fair to say that I think like 95% plus of the retail participants that you've seen at the top of the previous peak um, are pretty much gone at the moment. Right. And so um, I actually think that whether you are investing or whether you are kind of swing trading or whether you're researching projects or building projects or whatever it is that you're doing in the space right now is actually the best time to do it because uh, the people who reap all kinds of rewards when the actual bull markets happen and when the actual bull markets peak are the people who do something when no one else is looking at crypto. Right. And so um, First of all, I'm happy we're having this conversation now. I'm happy to kind of be back more active on uh, crypto Twitter and crypto in general. And yeah, um, to me, bear markets are a blessing in disguise because I think that um, the next bull market is inevitable, whether it happens three months from now or two years from now, doesn't matter, but it's coming. And uh, essentially right now is when you have to act and pay attention to really gain in the coming bull. So yeah, I'm, I'm just happy to be here. Yeah, and I think this is also kind of what you did during the last bear market. And one thing a lot of people told me that were in that bear market is one that one of the most painful things wasn't like 
the price, but mainly the boredom. Like people had so much dopamine and they were so euphoric during the bull market that during the bear, they kind of feel empty because there was not much going on. As you said, a lot of liquidity had dried up. I do feel like right now there's a bit more activity, more people, you know, like the cycle has gotten a bit bigger. So while people left, there are more people around. Yeah, I mean, every subsequent bear market in general, the population is going to grow. So um, by definition, most people join crypto around some bull market peak, right? And so because uh, bull markets peak are always the weeks where you have the super big green candles, where you have Bitcoin and Ethereum and NFTs in the headlines. And more importantly, you have the emotions of fast gains and jealousy and people hearing about their friends and cousins or whatever, essentially catching these green candles that I just talked about, right? So definitionally, most people will always get into crypto at the peak of a bull. That's simply because that's where the peaks and prices also represent the peaks in attention, right? And for me, that was, um, I was living in China at the time. It was late 2013, November, late 2013, during sort of that, that bubble. Uh, if you guys remember the one before that was the 2017. Like the Cyprus, Cyprus central yes. bank were speculating yes. on Bitcoin being like a safe haven for these kind of events, right? Yeah, I believe the Cyprus stuff happened in 2014, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, that was that was generally the era. And um, essentially, like when Bitcoin crossed $1,000 mark for the first time, then dropped back down to 200 in early 2015. Um, <clears throat> and so by definition, most people will always come at the peak of a bull. And by definition, people's kind of like second experience in crypto will always be pretty much like losing 80, 90% of what they have, right? That's like literally the majority of the people, they kind of have to go through that because that's just how these markets work, right? But I totally agree with you that um, like the base population will grow bear to bear and bull to bull simply because with each of these kind of attention explosions, yes, nine out of 10 people leave, but essentially more people end up staying than uh, there were before, right? So of course it will grow. Like I just told my friend a couple of days ago, I mean, the crypto culture as a whole, it started off from these like, uh, cryptographer, cypherpunk, cybersecurity, like hardcore libertarian anarchist circles. And now you can tell with each cycle, it's kind of becoming more and more normified, so to speak. Right. And whether we like it or not, it's going to continue happening because if we want crypto to truly go mainstream, it's not going to be like niche and hipster and super techie anymore. It has to be uh, just the same as any other Web2 popular uh, platform or network. So it's just, uh, just part mean, of parcel. The same happened with Web2. Like when I was much younger, a lot of the forums I was on, like I was really young, but the forums were pretty edgy. People were, you know, like talking in ways you wouldn't really see on Twitter right now or on Instagram. And I think that's like a cycle crypto is kind of in. Like we're not really there yet, but we're seeing that happen during this uh, bull cycle. I think especially during the bull market, we saw it in a way that was pretty cringe to a lot of OGs. Yeah, and I think uh, I think the and it, the explosion in NFTs definitely had uh, something to, to do with that because I just think like pictures and artwork are a lot more relatable uh, to uh, a larger chunk of the population than like complicated DeFi like technologies, right? Um, and so with NFTs, uh, a lot of like those people came right. But we're gonna have we're gonna continue having NFTs. We're gonna continue having games. We're gonna continue having kind of like more sort of like mainstream applications. And so this trend will simply continue. There's nothing we can do about it. If we want prices to go up, this has to happen. Uh, and yeah, we will just once uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum, whatever it is, once they take over the world, we'll just have to find like new markets and, and, and new things with that, that are niche again. You mentioned them taking over the world and the fact that we're going more mainstream. We need to go more mainstream to continue with this adoption. That leads on to an interesting question in what your view is on where we go next. We can go into regulation and things after this, but in terms of what you think is going to happen with crypto over the next between two and five years, 
What's your view on that? So um, I think one of the one of the founders or one of the kind of the guys in the Nouns DAL, which is an NFT project, he tweeted the other day a take, which I kind of agree with. And also, um, I think is pretty much what everybody in crypto is hoping for. But essentially, he said there will come a point like sometime in the next one or two years where traditional markets will either keep on falling or just not doing anything. And some sometime there, crypto markets will just start going up for some reason. And we will always create a narrative on top of that. Right. But crypto markets will go up and then people will like suddenly uh, like slowly at first and then suddenly people will like start piling onto it because it will show out performance and it will like um, act a lot more bullishly than other markets and people will kind of everybody will believe that we are in a crypto bull market again. So, of course, this is kind of an optimistic take, but I actually think that something like this will happen. Um, of course, uh, cryptocurrencies have always benefited from not so much inflation, but from governments like really rapidly expanding the, their money supplies and balance sheets. Uh, unfortunately, this is not happening, but uh, from my strong belief is that it will continue at some point and crypto will continue growing with it once again. Yeah, for sure. I think an interesting point is that regardless of what happens, whether we see money supply increasing and more printing, which will result in markets going up, at least in the short term, or whether we see restrictive policy continuing to get inflation down, which in which case there's a chance that I could see markets continuing to go down, traditional markets being in a bear market for years to come, and then crypto decoupling purely on fundamentals when we start interacting with it on the back end rather than using the front end, use the apps you know already, but with crypto behind the scenes. That's a hopeful vision. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. So first of all, um, for crypto to succeed, as we've already mentioned, it needs to be completely indistinguishable in terms of user experience and speed and smoothness of flow to all the other apps that we're currently using, right? Um, the beauty of it, though, is going to be the fact that it's going to be built on uncensorable, uh, uncensorable rails and hopefully on while using kind of uncensorable currencies, right? That's, that's the goal. And honestly, uh, every day um, I ask myself, like, what can be done in general to kind of accelerate this kind of like the process of cryptocurrencies taking over the world. And um, in my opinion, it is simply, we simply need these uh, bull and bear cycles. There, there's nothing else we, we can ever achieve this with. We need these bull and bear cycles uh, because specifically because like at the top of the bulls, like I've already said, come these very great emotions and these great human level, like village level, human, uh, powerful emotions, they're the ones that get somebody involved. And then during the subsequent bear is when they study. So um, we simply need volatility and we need these kind of boom and busts to happen. I think like three or four more times, probably before we're kind of there. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, uh, before uh, the bear market started, a lot of people were talking about a super cycle. There will be no bull and bear cycles anymore. I feel like that narrative kind of died down now. A lot of people have been humbled by the market. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that narrative is probably dead at the moment. Um, obviously, kind of govern government stepping in uh, with QT to try to uh, handle inflation pretty much put an end to that argument. Um, I do think that crypto will continue growing pretty much nonstop, like over the long term, right? Uh, so, so there is still kind of a super cycle with the respect to cryptocurrencies in my mind. Like if you, to, if you look at like super long time frames, but of course in short to medium term, it's going to be a very bumpy ride. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like the Bitcoin chart now, or like even the S and P 500, like you'll see a lot of crashes and you can kind of pinpoint through the events, like the great depression, the, the great financial crisis, the dot-com bubble. If you zoom out, it's still like a straight line going yep. up. Yep. And um, a lot of Bitcoiners believe that. Um, so human progress is always moving up, right? Because 
every single human is essentially figuring out ways, uh, whether it's in their own life or whether it's in their product or invention or whatever it is they're doing. Every single day, we're figuring out to do something a little bit better or a little bit faster. Like, that's why the economy grows. Um, actually, a lot of Bitcoiners and a lot of people in crypto in general, they believe that if uh, we get rid of fiat money and the kind of the, the central bank control over the currencies and we switch over to a harder money standard, then you won't even see the Great Depression and, and type crashes on the chart at all. It will actually be more of a straight line and like a steady, sustainable straight line rather than uh, the boom and bust cycles, because they actually believe that the nature of the fiat money causes the kind of the speculative waves associated with the, like the credit creation, credit destruction. Uh, yeah, and so the central planning, right? Like people exactly. are making human decisions that can be irrational about yep. our economy. Like for example, the Fed, they have made mistakes and that's how you kind of get into these credit cycles. That's exactly right. The idea here is very, like in very simple terms, the idea here is um, a thousand people with a billion dollars each will do better decisions overall than one person with a trillion dollars, right? And so um, essentially it's like very, it's a, we can't even understand like the behavior of water molecules in the river, right? And so to have the ego and the hubris and the arrogance to be able to predict like the future supply and demand of everything in the economy, uh, of everything in the chaotic human brain, that's absolutely preposterous. So we need to decentralize everything. Yes, and um, I've, I've seen you've talked a lot about Bitcoin in your previous podcast. Like I think a lot of people understand your thesis on it. But one thing I want to expand a bit more on is Ethereum and maybe also the ecosystem around it. Like we have had the merge this year. There was a lot of attention during the launch, but I think it kind of has died down. Well, you've spoken a lot about Bitcoin. I would love to hear kind of your thesis on Ethereum and also why you have decided to build on like layer twos. Yeah, for sure. So um, I think I, I will say one thing and I think it will kind of sum up my latest thoughts quite well. And I'll say this. Um, and this might be obvious to you guys. And I think it's obvious probably to a lot of people on crypto Twitter but I think it bears noting regardless. And essentially um, the black pill and kind of almost like a topic that no one really wants to discuss is um, the reason why, and, and, and I'm gonna say the following as somebody whose portfolio is like still like 80% Bitcoin pretty much when it comes to crypto, but the reason the fee market is not developing in Bitcoin is because Ethereum, Solana and other chains exist, right? The problem is, um, and before I say the following, you need to understand, Bitcoin isn't just a money and Bitcoin isn't just a payment network. It's both, right? And it's both uh, in a situation where one, kind of depends on the other to succeed. It's a, it's a feedback loop where both ends of the loop are very important. And uh, Bitcoin security model is such that eventually it needs, uh, it will need a robust amount of fee demand and fee revenue in order for its monetary policy to stay intact. Um, now, because Ethereum and Solana and a couple of other chains exist, they're actually a big problem to Bitcoin. And the reason for that is uh, NFTs, gambling, casinos, games, DAOs, and all of the other, what might people can refer to as degenerate use cases. The fact of the matter is 99% of them are happening on Ethereum, Solana, and other chains, right? Now, you might say that all these things are stupid, but the market doesn't care. And put together, there's a lot of fees that these type of activities generate, whether you like it or not. 
obviously DeFi a big example as well. And so because these things happen on other chains other than Bitcoin, it's causing problems to, or essentially there's two choices for, for Bitcoin, right? It, it will either have to find some kind of a way for uh, miners to make fee-based revenue, or it will have to change its monetary policy slightly. Obviously, nobody wants the latter to happen. That will defeat the whole purpose of ultra-hard money. But the former is much, much more difficult to have, right? It takes years to build that kind of an ecosystem. So essentially, that's the situation. Now, I do still believe that Bitcoin is a better money, uh, just based off its monetary properties al alone. Um, but uh, that being said, Ethereum is much more welcoming when it comes to building some kind of an application, decentralized application or a game or a DeFi protocol on top of it. Um, uh, we specifically at STFX are building on a layer two. We're building on Arbitrum and Optimism simultaneously. But we, we are planning to be on every chain, like if, if uh, not, just, not, not even just EVM compatible ones. So we literally want to be multi-chain, omni-chain from day one. Um, and uh, if, if Bitcoin or some kind of a layer two or layer three or sidechain of Bitcoin has that kind of functionality, uh, more importantly, a decentralized exchange with liquidity on it, we will go there as well. So really, we are super apolitical or agnostic when it comes to like blockchains. We want to be everywhere, wherever there's DEXs pretty much. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, uh, I also definitely agree with the argument you made about Bitcoin's current, you know, like issue with the fee market. A lot of Bitcoiners say like, oh, it will take a hundred years for that to become a problem. But as you pointed out, how longer you wait, how harder it becomes to establish those uh, communities, that infrastructure, because other networks like Ethereum and Solana will have 20 or 10 years before you like right now ethereum doesn't even exist that long but imagine in like 10 years if bitcoin wants to start generating fees then and ethereum had another 10 years of usage on top of it you have an extreme disadvantage as bitcoin to get those users to use your protocols yeah for sure max any uh, comments from your side on it um, less related to what we were saying about <coughs> Bitcoin as money and a payment network. Um, I wanted to know your view. I think it falls more into Bitcoin as a value storage um, and how it could fall into the potential of, I'm not sure if you're familiar with, I'm sure you probably are, Ray Dalio's theory of a changing world order and how reserve currencies have to change over time. And for this next change, which could come in five, 10 years, whenever it does happen to come, there's going to be to be some sort of a backup. And by this time, crypto could benefit so heavily from it, especially with authoritarian currencies such as the Chinese Yuan being the main fallback. Um, I wanted to know your thoughts on where Bitcoin, Ethereum and crypto in general could fall within this like changing world order. Yeah, so... Um... I'm a firm believer, pretty much a very firm believer in the thesis that you've just alluded to. I think um, relatively soon, um, hopefully while we're still young, but definitely I think within 20, 30 years at most, essentially during one of these boom and bust bubbles that Bitcoin, Ethereum, cryptocurrency as a whole have, one of them is going to be a lot crazier than the others. And that's going to be the tipping point. That's going to be the tipping point where the number of kind of the, the, the percentage of humans that believe in uh, crypto, both as a money and as a payment network, as a value storage and as a medium of exchange, as, as all of it. Right. Um, the percentage of people will grow to a point where it kind of becomes a critical mass uh, on a global scale. And I think it will um, pretty much lead to hyperinflation and all the other fiat currencies. Obviously, the weakest will die first and, and faster. And we're already seeing signs of that in kind of. Turkey, Lebanon, yeah. uh, well, countries yeah. in South America. Exactly. And um, the problem here is. Um, 
how will that process look like, right? And so René Girard, who wrote a famous book called Things Hidden Since the Foundation of Time, I believe. And he said, uh, and he passed away in 2015, I believe. But one of his kind of latter quotes, uh, sorry, 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 later quotes was, he said, in a hyper-globalized world, all it takes is a match to burn everything down, right? And I've talked about this on a couple of last podcasts I was with, uh, but essentially I said, we've seen hyperinflation in history on a local scale. We've even seen it on a national scale, right? Zimbabwe, Venezuela, most famous example, Weimar Germany in the 1920s. But we've never seen it on a global scale because the world has never been as globalized as it is today. The world became rapidly globalized after World War II, right? So what this crazy chaos will look like on a global scale, nobody knows, right? There is kind of Bitcoin thought leaders which believe that it will happen violently. There is other kind of Bitcoiners which will think it will happen more peacefully. Um, I don't know. It's going to be one or the other, obviously, but it's definitely going to be a chaotic time. Now, either way, I believe that crypto will become the dominant monetary paradigm starting from our lifetimes and probably lasting a few centuries after, right? Now, what I will say is essentially, to me, this process is mathematically inevitable. Uh, be simply because on a logical level, kind of even in a secluded room in an isolated environment, when you have kind of one money, aka a balloon that like keeps losing its air, so to speak, and one which keeps its sort of monetary borders extremely tight and robust with every passing day, kind of like uh, the, the, the amount of demand will keep flowing from one to another. This is a mathematical inevitability in my mind, right? But... Uh, it's just a matter of time, right? Can happen five years from now, can happen 30 years from now. But it, but that's the range, right? That's what I believe in. Um, and yeah, uh, we're just here to hopefully make this go faster. Now, I will say the governments will try to fight it. They will attack. I don't think they've even be began considering the implications. So the worst is yet to come in terms of the battles and stuff. But um, the hope here is that technology due to its kind of code and hyper-globalized, hyper-connected nature. Uh, the hope here is that code uh, is moving a lot more fast, uh, a lot faster than legislation is. And so kind of the, the, the technological optimism here is that uh, technological progress will always be a couple of steps ahead of um, seven-year-olds deciding what we must do behind closed doors, yeah. right? And so, uh, yeah, that's that's what I believe in. This. That that's kind of like my my views on it. Max, you want to respond or? Uh, uh, I... Yeah, I thought you had a point there. I saw you unmuted. Um, I think that's a good segue into. There's a couple of things that I kind of want to touch on quickly. And one, you seem like you're pretty dialed into the macro environment. You can add these two together if you want, because they could potentially be one answer. Um, it is on the macro side of things, kind of how you see the next 12 months playing out in your mind, whether you see us go into kind of printing from the Federal Reserve, in which case they're kicking the can down the road, potentially to the next government, which is going to accelerate realistically the idea of the changing world order, or whether you see it as more of a, they're going to attack this front on, we're going to see a terrible bear market, and we're going to come out the other end with pained economy, but no inflation or less inflation back to a safer level. And the second question is on, on regulation. So I think I'll let you address the first one first. Yeah. So, um, the nature of like politicians, like all politicians or all, all heads of government, they pretty much in their mind. Um, and I kind of been saying this since like 2017, 2018, but I still think it's kind of the case in their mind. Uh, cryptocurrencies is still this like, obscure um, 
edge of the room technology that teenagers use to buy weed with on the internet, right? They, they still don't see this as like a huge uh, monetary paradigm change that's like a tsunami that's about to come, right? Um, I think maybe in the next bull or the bull after that, they'll be like, oh shit, this is a problem. Uh, but right now, I don't think it's like on their agenda, especially like if we're talking about like today, today, especially like during bear markets, it's like crypto doesn't really do anything. Can't even, th can't even threaten a fly at the moment, unfortunately. Um, but essentially, um, yeah, I think like their, their arrogance is such that they're probably not viewing it as a threat at the moment, but sooner or later they will. Uh, and when they attack it, it will probably coincide with like another bear market and it's going to be a horrible one. Uh, just because like everybody will panic, like exchanges will be, um, like, at, like essentially it like fiat like, gateways. Um, like the China ban, but then on like a global scale. Yeah, is exactly. Is that like and only a good comparison? I actually think the biggest, like uh, the West is a much bigger driver of, uh, crypto prices going up and just the, there's like, mm, the West is more culturally significant right now when it comes to crypto than the East is, in my opinion. Um, and um, so it's probably going to be even more painful than when, uh, like, than if, hypothetically speaking, the West would attack, like, fiat gateways or anything like that, uh, compared to the Chinese mining ban. Now, there's a lot of extremely wealthy people in crypto, people who have made billions, tens of billions already, right? And so they are working in, DC and the European Union to kind of open up ways towards a more favorable legislation, right? And that's what, that's probably, that would probably be good, right? Um, so it's not necessarily going to be an attack. Uh, maybe there is, there are paths out of here where um, crypto exchanges and crypto platforms and blockchains, they grow so big in terms of like importance and political clout that they can essentially uh, come to a situation where their own influence on politicians and lawmakers is such that they come out of this battle alive, so to speak, right? So that's definitely also a scenario. Uh, but yeah, it pretty much could go either way. Just important to try to think about all the possibilities here. What's your, so this is kind of like a, a worst case devil's advocate scenario, but I think it'd be quite interesting to hear. What's your doomsday scenario for regulation? What do you think they could go for that would really put... A, a very large speed bump, if not could potentially kill crypto. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to give them ideas, but obviously the most fragile <laughs> points are the points where fiat money flow, <laughs> where the fiat money flows into the system, right? So if yeah. you block banks, if you if you block like the banking points, and if you block like the like the American and the European like exchange entryway points, it's pretty much over, uh, <laughs> or like an instant negative eighty percent wherever we are. Uh, and I can because already you, you, see uh, Gensler taking notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, because essentially you create this like five, six year period after that where you kind of uh, take the crypto industry 10 years back when uh, you would buy crypto in like coffee shops with like very sketchy individuals. You know what I mean? Uh, just like OTC, P2P, like real life on the street type trades. And obviously we don't want that, right? We don't want that. Uh, we want... Like we want complete digital one-click conversion experience. Like that's how we win. So um, yeah, let's see on, what we get. On the other side of the argument, I would say that we say that they're not too phased at the moment, but you can see some movements, especially within governments where they're transforming their view from previously having no interest and in knowing nothing to now, whilst there are hilarious misunderstandings when Congress are talking about crypto, they're starting to take notice and we have a decent amount who are actually putting the effort in to build out structure that builds crypto into essentially the forefront. I think it could also come from a place of naivety in that they don't realize how it could completely change the power dynamics. But at the same time, we're seeing it get to a point where it could potentially all be in place before they're able to really retaliate, essentially. And it could be too late to regulate by that point. What's your view on how far we're getting there now and how we're seeing actual decentralized on and off ramps even start to appear. I saw something in one today and it could be too late by the time they come to the point that we're talking of. Yeah, I mean, you also see them like try to build CBDCs and stuff, which is obviously like a wet pants dream for any authoritarian. You can kind of like 
inflate people's money and tax people's money at the at the, at the keystroke of a computer, right? Um, essentially, I think CBDCs will be less of a success than what governments think because, uh, like, older people, they are the ones who hold the money, but it's the teenagers and the 20-year-olds that, like, it, of every generation that decide what's cool, right? And um, culturally, money is very important. Uh, somebody tweeted something super interesting recently, and they said, uh, like, when a teenager is going to be looking at, like, the latest altcoins or NFTs uh, or just any kind of crypto in general compared to, like, CBDC, they'll be like, I don't want to use this, like, old boomer shit. Like, fuck this. Uh, let me use this, like, decentralized stuff, right? And... Um, I think essentially CBDCs, I, I think, are going to be culturally unpopular. They're not going to be cool. They're not going to be edgy. They're not going to be hipster. They're not going to be like the latest trend, etc. And that's why they'll fail. And I think because crypto and crypto culture and Web3 is going to like become this like very powerful monster and is going to be at the forefront of like essentially like digital, digital culture overall. I think that's it, it will absorb essentially so many parts of like government and technology. Yes, that, that makes a lot of sense. I think like the arguments you made are pretty clear for us at Cryptonary. Like Max has written a lot of research about these topics too. We are a big believer in, you know, crypto eating up a lot of the traditional system and also the CBDCs. I think we can basically counter them by, you know, like innovating crypto. It's kind of like we already created the medicine for it before they were able to make the poison. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, of course, that's that's the hope of every crypto person that kind of wallets, P2P exchanges and kind of hyper decentralization of all the processes happens faster and earlier than uh, damaging regulation can happen, right? And so it's kind of an arms race. It's an arms race right now. Mm -hmm. And one last topic, because we're getting closer to the end, I want to talk with you about is trading and STFX, because I think those two are a bit connected. So just to start, uh, you were, uh, you know, like a pretty good trader. You mainly focused on on-chain analysis, if that's correct. So I want to kind of know, like, do you still think the strategy you used regarding on-chain analysis is still as useful now as it was in 2018, 2019? Yeah, um, so first of all, there's like so many more on-chain um, indicators and signals and algorithms and, and, pl and analytics platforms now than there were like even three, four years ago. Uh, I still do believe it's useful, but like I've always said, it's uh, more useful when it comes to um, like investing, position trading, swing trading, like more medium long term rather than day to day, right? On-chain analytics is not going to be that useful for like intraday or intraweek trading. Um, some people use like exchange exchange deposits, exchange withdrawals or, or, or like large transactions on chain as partial inputs into certain like shorter term time frame trading signals. But generally... Uh, yes, I think on-chain is useful, but more so for medium and long-term and not for the short-term. Makes sense. And um, I guess like your experience in trading is also what led you to creating STFX. So um, I think most people have heard of STFX. It's been all over crypto Twitter, but I'll still give you the time to explain it in, you know, like the most simple way possible to our listeners. Yeah. So two kind of, we're at the intersection of essentially two trends or two, two concepts. So first of all, people have been trying to build uh, decentralized asset management, in other words, on-chain funds in crypto since like 2016. Um, I believe like almost like 15 different teams across like five, six different blockchains have attempted this. But um, passive indices aside, and I'm talking about active management, the TVL of all of those is like 60, 70 million, which in the grand scheme of things, in the grand scheme of DeFi really isn't all that much. And um, I think the reason for that is because there is a kind of a demographic mismatch between that product and the average crypto participant. 
And I think in general, when it comes to DeFi specifically, people are a lot more risk-seeking, impatient, and they like volatility and they like like shorter term and they don't like to tie up their money for too long, et cetera, right? And um, typically, it, it, when you look at the real world, um, something like traditional finance, most of the consumers of like f of various funds is more like long-termist, institutional, like large capital-based, conservative, like that type of like investor, right? And so there's a mismatch between like the product and the client. Um, so we are building something a little bit different. Instead of building on-chain funds, uh, which when you think of it is like multi-month or multi-year portfolios of like seven or eight altcoins and the manager kind of rotates between these altcoins, et cetera. Um, what we're building is essentially these, what we call STVs, which are single trade vaults, which is, you can literally think of it as a vault that is dedicated to only one trade at a time, right? So it kind of goes in and out of an existence during the duration of one trade. So instead of it being a, you can think of any fund in the world as like a collection of like 500 trades over three years, right? We are trying to unbundle those into each being 500 different ones, pretty much, right? And so um, the benefit here is that it's gonna be a lot faster. Uh, we are hoping, like we, right now, we're targeting between a couple of days to a couple of weeks uh, as like the time frame of these things. Uh, more importantly, and it's kind of like the second interaction, second intersection here is, uh, as I'm sure you guys know, the guys who are heavy in DeFi, since the middle of 2021, DeFi has kind of been undergoing this voltification of everything trend, which like a lot of these different strategies and, and things are getting packaged into these vaults, right? We've seen this most famously with options, but also we've seen this with like yield farming and uh, liquidity management and a bunch of other structured products and stuff, right? Um, so what we're doing is essentially, instead of focused on money generation or yield, we're essentially packaging trade ideas into these vaults. And importantly, they're completely permissionless, right? So most of these like vault platforms, each of them have like eight or nine volts that they've selected manually, right? They've just, as a DAO, they've just selected it, put it on the website. We are building a platform where anybody can come and they can create any vault they want and they can also invest in any vault they want. And obviously right now we are starting with uh, directional trading of uh, mildly leveraged perpetuals, right? Just because this is the most popular product in crypto overall. But we think if we prove the concept here, we can expand obviously to spot options, NFTs, like multi-leg trades where you long one thing, short another, or multi-leg options trades, which is like different dates, different calendars, different strikes, et cetera. So uh, yeah, that's what we're doing right now. Uh, super excited about it. Uh, currently running a month long competition. Week two of four weeks just began and we have $100,000 of USDC, not the token, in prizes. Um, so come to our Discord, come to our Twitter. Uh, happy to see you there. One awesome. question I've got on the build out of the platform, something that I think people would be curious on is if anyone can come and create an STV, how can we ensure that STVs are quality and that they're not just people randomly creating them, hoping they're going to get a win and earn some fees? Yeah, so we we are like super big believers in the free market and we're actually be reducing restrictions on everything as we proceed every week. So we want to make this as purely decentralized, non-custodial and permissionless as possible. And then we want to let the market decide. That being said, we are working on an on-chain formula, um, which will be something like your reputation. And on our platform, reputation and maximum vault capacity will be the same thing. Um, right now, actually, because we, uh, our audit is still ongoing, uh, we, uh, instead of doing a test net, we deployed straight on mainnet, but we capped our vaults to 200 USDC just so that people can start kind of playing around and offering feedback, etc. But, uh, very soon we will move to, uh, 25,000, 50,000, 100,000, uh, maximum capacity vaults. And these will be kind of like the default values that you start with. Essentially, if you lose money your capacity shrinks. And if you make money, your capacity expands. And so um, everything is obviously going to be on chain and transparent. And that's kind of that kind of a flexible algorithm is what we will use to uh, kind of partially answer the question that you just posed. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And another question I have, how do you align the incentives between the trader and the investor and your platform? So in terms of like, who earns, how do these people 
keep like a healthy relationship on your platform? Yeah. So um, the role between the user, the investor, the token holder, the governance participant, the staker, it's everybody can be all five of them if they want, right? It's not, they're not separated groups uh, because our platform, you can be, you can do any five of those things just by connecting your wallet, right? And immediately right off the bat, you can either be a manager or be an investor. Um, essentially, there is a few ways we're doing to align incentives better. First of all, uh, we will be sharing 80% of the revenue that the platform generates with the token holders. That's the biggest thing. Second of all, managers only earn money if their vault is profitable, right? So in that way, we're aligning incentives in the sense that managers only earn... They can't just uh, earn fees by sitting on their hands like a normal hedge fund. We don't even, we don't even have management fees. It's performance fees only right now. Uh, and essentially, the performance fees are split 15% to the manager, 5% to the platform, and 80% back to the investor, right? And um, essentially, as your reputation grows as manager, you will get to earn 16, 17, even 18%, right? So really, um, we believe that performance fees are a much better way to remunerate managers than management fees. And um, our goal is to make this like the most transparent thing in all of trading out there, because literally every single, every single move trade, investment, claim, it's all going to be on chain, right? So everything, all the profiles, both on the manager side and the investor side, it's going to be 100% transparent. So you can use that data whenever you make any kind of investment decision. Awesome. And for people who want to learn more, like I'm sure you have uh, proper documentation, anything they should go to. I also heard your Discord is very active. Yeah, our Discord is super active. I believe it's like a top 10, top 15 trading related group right now in general. Um, I've always been a big believer in community being the most important thing in DeFi and community is like number one for us. So uh, if you have any questions, Discord is the number one place to ask. And if you want to learn more, again, Discord is the number one place uh, to learn. So um, we'd love to see you there. Discord.gg SDFX. Awesome. And um, Max, we're getting close to the end. So any questions you still want to ask before we close off? I think a good last question. Um, I think asset management has a huge future in DeFi, especially if we move into the world that we see happening where most money is going to end up on chain. So my question is what you think the most exciting innovation that could happen or is happening in DeFi is at the moment, specifically, either specifically to asset management or we could be talking as a whole in DeFi. I can give you a specific example, but I, what I will say is this. I hate uh, DeFi, which is just trying to take something that exists in TradFi and put it on the blockchain. Um, and I'm a big believer. I really like uh, DeFi projects, and not just DeFi projects. I really like blockchain-related projects that offer a product which is only possible for the first time ever because because it's on a blockchain. You know what I mean? I hate I hate simply copying something from the real world, just putting it on the blockchain like this, like you're in a gluing something in the microwave, and then being like, oh, we are X. On the like Airbnb, but on the blockchain, Uber on blockchain. No one gives a shit about that. What people want is something that's fresh, unique, and newly for the first time ever enabled by blockchain tech. Something that has to be or benefits greatly from decentralization. Decentralization is kind of expensive and, and it's kind of not 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 as fast as centralized. So you really got to think carefully about what are those unique needs, right? Um, there's a lot of things in DeFi that's literally just taking stuff from Wall Street and putting it there. And to me, that stuff is boring. I like the, the unique, the new stuff. That's, that's all I can say about that. Awesome. Nice. Thanks for that. Yeah. And, um, probably my last question would be because we have a lot of listeners who maybe entered crypto in 2020, 2021, maybe even 2022. What's like a lesson you learned in your life or 
in crypto that you want to tell to others so they can maybe also uh, learn from it? Um, don't use too much leverage. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, uh, that makes a lot of sense. Like for 99% of you, like DCA over longer term time periods is the best option. Um, and I will also say read a huge amount. Uh, follow the like the smart people on crypto Twitter. And essentially, if you want to get up to speed, read like 10 to 15 long form uh, medium and other blog posts about the technology every single day. Like reading a lot is the best thing you can do. Awesome. And uh, for people who may want to follow you or, uh, you know, like keep up with what you've been doing, where should they find you on Twitter or any other social media you're at? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at Mastop Murad, and uh, I just spend all of my time in the Discord every day, uh, discord.gg slash SDFX. So hope to see you there. Awesome. And uh, also, thank you for being here, Max. Anything uh, you want to say, any research you have been working on for Cryptonary that maybe our members might be interested in, in the coming weeks? Um, we have been kind of looking a bit more on the bullish side and trying to get some more call it copium or hopium if you want, but I think it's more fundamental based bullish news um, from the research reports. I published a couple recently about uh, whether you should be bullish at the moment. And I think something to say is that the fact that governments are causing difficulty within markets is a feature of the system as it is at the moment and will eventually cause a lot more movement in crypto. So that's something to be bullish about. And institutions are building the infrastructure needed to move into crypto once regulation is there as well we've seen hires and loads of moves on that area so those are two articles that i put out recently that are free for anyone to have a look at so i would get people to check those out awesome i'll make sure to put all the links down below all the stuff you mentioned uh murat all the stuff you mentioned max and i really want to thank you guys for listening to the podcast make sure to check out stfx Make sure to check us out at Cryptonary. And I hope to see you here at the next episode. Bye, guys. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Marat. See ya. But of course, it's not financial advice.